For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, advice on making the transition to living in the land of geriatrica by Arizona Daily Star columnist Marilyn Hines, M.D. Have you seen The Dancing Man on Tucson's north side? Find out the story behind what he does. Chris DeShield tells us about three standout selections now available to watch online from Tucson Cine Mexico 2020. And join the staff and patrons at the El Toro Flicks Carpool Cinema as they enjoy a movie together safely under the stars. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Marilyn Hines started her medical career as a pediatrician and author of books on parenting advice, but she's also known as a columnist for the Arizona Daily Star and someone who understands aging from the inside out. Now at age 90, Hines is celebrating the release of her book, A Traveler's Guide to Geriatrica, a journey into the changing land of aging. It's a friendly collection of advice, stories, and family history, featuring illustrations by cartoonist Dave Fitzsimmons. So I talked with Marilyn about what it takes to become a true citizen of geriatrica. I start out by saying I am an immigrant to a new land, where many, but not all, of my friends and relatives dwell. No passport is needed. There's no border to cross. Sages tell us we live our lives one step at a time. One day, maybe without even realizing it, we step into geriatrica. And geriatrica is a word I made up because it talks about a country. And I went on to say, however, everything feels strange here. Even though I've lived here long enough to speak Medicare, I still feel like an immigrant sometimes. And I think it's important to realize that people did not age to the level that they do now. And in relatively good health, this is, of course, before the pandemic. And I think that the old versions of what you do when you're, uh, when you're growing old maybe outdated, and we have to sort of pay attention to the elders in our community, look around and see what some of them need. And uh, I think one of the really important things is that the children of aging people remember or or read the book in order to find out uh, what they might be expecting. Yeah, you use the phrase reverse parenting. Yes, yes. And that certainly is an issue that we're dealing with. And right now with the pandemic, there are so many people who are maybe not only taking responsibility for their own safety, but for the safety of their children and the safety of their parents. You add that to a worldwide pandemic and a world that has been turned upside down, and it can be a problem. But I do want to tell you one thing cheerful. Two years before his death, I asked my father what it was like to grow old. And he replied, every day over 80 is pure velvet. 
I plan to cuddle up in each velvet day I have. And what makes my day velvet is the privilege of still being somewhat useful to others. For this, I thank my readers. <laughs> a little maudlin, but... <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it maudlin. I, I call your, your father's sentiment very comforting. I'm 51 now. Okay. Just turned 51. Do you have children? No, I do not. Okay, okay. 51, of course, is uh, a mere child to me. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is a big change when you become a nonagenarian. Oh, by the way, um, you know that David Fitzsimmons illustrated the book. And when I wished him a happy birthday once and told him that I was becoming a nonagenarian... He said, the term nonagenarian may be accurate, but it sounds like non-fattening or non-violent, a form of subtraction rather than glorious addition. Yes. I prefer my invention, sapogenarian, derived from sapienti, late Latin for wisdom. So that's kind of a nice term. It sounds a little better. Yeah, it does. There's a really cute illustration in your book of a child telling someone that their grandfather is an octogenarian. Yes. And imagining him with uh, eight octopus-like legs. Well, Fitz is one of uh, Tucson's glories. <laughs> Great. <laughs> He's a visionary. <laughs> yeah, really, really. Um, okay, let me see where we were, if I have any nice quotes for you. Here's a new word, elder-proof. Like child-proofing, elder-proofing our home and life starts with prevention. And I go into how you do make your house safer. Yeah, and another aspect of that is you made the decision to move from the home where you had been living by yourself to making a transition to an assisted living home. It wasn't assisted living. It was independent living, but you're right. In, I'm sorry, independent living. Yeah. Um, and, and in the process of doing that, you looked at your book collection, for instance, and you made some arrangements to have those books taken care of. And not everyone does something about their household contents, and then that becomes a burden on their children when the day finally comes that they pass or or change living situations. So I think that was really neat how you address that situation head on. And that's, I think, an example of the sort of forward thinking that you promote in geriatrica. Thank you. It's very interesting because it would be so easy to have backward thinking. (laughs) But I did try to figure out how to... um, help my fellow elders. And um, the way things are going now, it is really a privilege to be in relatively good shape at an old age. And when people ask me, you know, what, what, what are the factors that enable people to grow into old age? The first thing is good genes. So you have to pick your parents well. But the second thing is money, because your parents have to have enough money to feed you properly to see that you're educated. And the third is just luck, because you didn't uh, crash your motorcycle when you were 18, (laughs) you know, didn't have to go in the Army and get shot at. So luck plays a big role. I think, I didn't put this in the book, but I think some of it is a little bit of attitude, because I I have friends that groan about their looks or their infirmities, and others that just say, well, 
this is where it is, I'm going to make the most of it. I think that's partly a personality thing, and we do inherit some personality traits from our parents. Do you have any other quotes from the book you'd like to close with? Is there a, a parting thought look, that you'd like to share look. with us? Uh, some funny ones. The mirror tells me there are better ways to look and feel than angry or upset. I may smile at myself, stick my tongue out, or mimic an opera singer belting out an aria. This nonsense helps me find perspective. <laughs> and I do do this. There's a great sense of, of um, relief of tension when you stick your tongue out yourself in the mirror. Well, maybe I'll have to try that. <laughs> Not on the radio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> here's, here's, here's one I love. Doctors cure or try to cure diseases. They cannot cure aging. I told my doctor, I hope I expire before she retires. Doctors need to be told how much they are appreciated. And I really believe that. (laughs) My guest, Marilyn Hines, M.D., wrote A Traveler's Guide to Geriatrica, A Journey into the Changing Land of Aging, with illustrations by Dave Fitzsimmons. It's available now, published by A3D Impressions. If you've driven on North Oracle Road in the past few months, you may have seen The Dancing Man. His name is Rex Wilkins, and he's a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Arizona. To find out why he chooses this unique form of self-expression, radio producer Sarah Ruth Bates talked to Wilkins and created this story. Please be aware it does contain a discussion of what it's like to have suicidal thoughts. Most days, Rex Wilkins runs five miles and loops down Oracle. Most runners prefer quiet streets, but Wilkins likes Oracle because of the traffic. He doesn't just run, he dances where people can see him. Welcome back. You may have seen his moves, or at least a video. The Dancing Man is a familiar face on the north side where he's been spreading smiles for months now. KOLD News 13's... Wilkins dances for joy and he dances to escape depression. He and his wife moved to Tucson two years ago for his PhD. They had just gotten married, they didn't know anyone in town, and he was studying violence at the border. Um, So this is like really heavy stuff. As a result, I have often struggled with um, depression and feeling sad about the state of affairs in the world ever since I started my PhD program back in 2018. For months, Wilkins sank deeper and deeper into depression. And it definitely took a toll on uh, our, our marriage. It took a toll on my capacity to feel good about myself. And back in the fall of 2019, I uh, decided I needed to start doing something or else I was going to go down on a very, very dark path. And so one of the things that I decided I needed to do was find an outlet. And that was running. It wasn't easy. 
And at first, <laughs> I did not run very fast. I did not run very long. He made himself keep going anyway. Day by day, week by week, Wilkins got stronger. The running helped. But that didn't mean everything started going well. In fact, things got worse uh, at first. I uh, was running about a mile, a mile and a half, when I started having these thoughts and these feelings of like, why am I doing this? What is the point of it? And I was feeling very... Uh, upset with myself like I'm just running in circles. I literally was running in circles because I ran around the, the perimeter of my apartment complex at the time. He tried to resist those thoughts, but it got more and more difficult. He was taking classes at the time, and after class, he often walked from campus to his car. I started noticing how a lot of cars would go by really fast on uh, Mountain Avenue, I think it is. And I started thinking, wow, you know, if I wanted to end it, and if I wanted to just be done with this, I could make it look like an accident. And then I wouldn't have to deal with uh, feeling this way anymore. He told his wife about the thoughts he'd been having and started seeing a therapist. Slowly, he started to feel better. This was last spring. We all know what happened next. Then the pandemic hit. And the amount of free time that I all of a sudden had because I was no longer commuting for an hour or so meant that I could spend a little bit more time running. Wilkins started running further and on busier streets. He often ran down North Oracle. And then one day I was just like, you know what, I'm going to like do a little jig, you know, so here I am like doing the, the jump on it, jump on it, you know, and, and like, you know, I'm just dancing like a fool. And it just felt great. Strangers have noticed Wilkins and responded to him. Drivers wave. Videos of his moves have gotten thousands of likes on Facebook. He gets messages from strangers all the time. At his lowest point, passing cars made him think about ending his life. Now each car offers a potential moment of human connection. His dancing helped one woman rekindle her love of rollerblading. And she used to rollerblade when she was a kid. And she said, you know, I went out into a parking lot here over by the Fry's grocery store, and I, I looked probably like a total idiot, but I did it and I loved it. And I just thought, that is what it's all about, right? The helping people feel like they can be vulnerable, they don't have to feel afraid to be themselves, and that they can do something that will bring them just a small bit of joy in a very dark time. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Sarah Ruth Bates. Contributor Sarah Ruth Bates is an MFA candidate in nonfiction at the University of Arizona, where she edits the Sonora Review and teaches composition. We've experienced much loss during this pandemic. Nothing is as serious as the loss of health and life, 
but there have been cultural losses as well, including the shutting down of movie theaters and the canceling of film festivals, including Tucson Cine Mexico. This annual celebration has been part of our local movie-going experience since 2004. It is, in fact, the longest-running showcase in the U.S. for Mexican films. It usually happens in March, but now as a service to devoted festival fans, the University of Arizona's Hansen Film Institute is highlighting more than 50 past and present Cine Mexico offerings online, each available on a variety of streaming platforms. Next, film essayist Chris DeShiel tells us about three films originally slated for the 2020 festival that you can now watch from home. Chris DeShiel is an outside contributor to this show, and his opinions do not represent Arizona public media. Una cara prisionada en la mía. Busqué a mi especie y no encontré nada. This is not Berlin, from writer-director Hari Sama, is a portrait of 1980s counterculture in Mexico City, which was the starting point for Sama's own artistic career. A teenager named Carlos doesn't feel like he fits in with the macho behavior of his age group. He has a crush on Rita, a musician who is the older sister of his best friend, Gera. And when they manage to persuade Rita to get them admission into a nightclub called the Aztec so they can watch her band perform, Carlos finds himself fascinated by the rebellious avant-garde art world that he sees in the club. It's an atmosphere fueled by drugs, punk rock, and significantly a pansexual lifestyle. The underage Carlos feels liberated by the possibilities of gay and bisexual relationships, along with the freestyle performance art that is such a contrast to the middle-class culture he comes from. His single mom has her own problems and isn't paying much attention to him, while Gara's parents react with alarm to the rebelliousness of his and his sister's behavior. The Aztec isn't a paradise. Carlos is treated as a plaything by a flamboyant gay artist named Nico, and he finds himself in a serious identity crisis. Sama's screenplay, co-written with Rodrigo Ordonez and Max Zanino, brilliantly evokes the heady atmosphere of that era. The title, This Is Not Berlin, is a reference to the position of that city as a trendsetter in the 80s, and the young people's perception of Mexico City as a mere backwater compared to that. That inferiority complex, common within the Mexican art world, is also expressed in the confused class awareness, or rather the lack of, on the part of middle-class kids who can't see their own privilege. This Is Not Berlin is an extraordinarily smart and well-made film displaying insight about the youthful ferment in Mexico, then and now. Los Lobos, directed by Samuel Kishi and written by Kishi, Luis Briones, and Sofia Gomez Cordova, is a drama of immigration to the U.S. as told from the perspective of children. Lucia, a young single mother, has left Mexico for reasons unknown, although we do learn that the father of her kids is deceased. She travels to Albuquerque with her two sons, 8-year-old Max and 5-year-old Leo, to work in a sweatshop. 
The boys are told to stay inside the dilapidated single-bedroom apartment she has rented, never to go out until she comes home at night. She ends up working two jobs, wearing herself out, while the boys are driven half-crazy with idleness and daydreaming. They are the wolves of the title, somehow surviving day by day with only each other for company almost all the time. Los Lobos conveys a vivid sense of the fear and desperation of immigrant families trying desperately just to get by. This is a portrait of suffering and loneliness, keenly attuned to the experiences of children. As the film goes on, we identify with the wild yearnings of these two kids, trapped inside a situation they don't understand. Los Lobos is a beautiful, sometimes scary portrayal of life on the edge. T.O. Yin is a documentary about a former community organizer and singer-songwriter in Oaxaca named Jaime Martinez. It is directed by his daughter, Luna Moran. The usual documentary would carefully go through the subject's life with interviews and so forth, but this film is more in the nature of a personal essay. Luna is visiting her parents' home, and we get to know not only her father, but her remarkable mother, also an activist, along with her brother and sister. The casual nature of the movie helps to convey the story of her family through their own words, along with occasional clips from her father's earlier life, making speeches and leading sing-alongs in rural Mexico. This is a flawed man who was away from his family a lot while doing his social and political work, and he suffered, moreover, from alcoholism, which eventually ruined his voice. All of this is made clear, along with tensions and conflicts, but also the love and acceptance that his children have for their extraordinary parent. Beneath all this, the director grounds the story in concerns about social and economic justice and the importance of community. T.O. Yim is a model of how to make a nonfiction film that naturally illuminates the personal lives of its subjects. Tengo miedo volver a mi pueblo y encontrar this is Arizona Spotlight, and I'm Chris DeShiel. For the full festival catalog of where to watch the films that Chris spoke about, and more than 50 other critically acclaimed selections, just go to TucsonCineMexico.org. Tucson has been without a consistent drive-in theater since the De Anza on South Alvernon Way closed in 2009. But last summer, as the pandemic shut down conventional movie theaters, drive-in theaters all across America started making an unlikely comeback. In Tucson, outdoor screens of various sizes have been offering vintage movies, concerts, and live sporting events to socially distanced audiences. The interest from the public has been so positive that some drive-in operators plan on keeping these screens lit no matter what the future might hold. The show begins at sundown, and this story produced by Andrew Brown. We're at El Toro Flicks. It's a drive-through carpool cinema. Our entertainment business started obviously not having that much events, so we started focusing and, and figuring out a way to, to keep on working. We're at Medilla Vineyard Ranch on Houghton Road. Currently have a, an agreement with them that we can show here every single weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Growing up, I always remember going to the drive-in. 
So um, with that culture being lost and Zianza gone, nobody really knew what drive-ins were anymore. Uh, nobody knew about the little pole sticking out of the ground with the speakers. I saved all my money and purchased all this equipment just so I can bring this back. So this is, yeah, taking the drive into the modern age. We've got wireless headsets that are fully charged and they uh, can tune right into the movie audio. This is actually gonna be our first. Actually our first, hers. Your second. Well, no, I I was telling them that I used to do this all the time. We used to go to the De Anza Theater growing oh, up. Tired of sitting at home and yeah. uh, ready to get out and, you know, see a movie yeah. somewhere other than the living room. Yeah, and I've, I've never been to a drive-in before, so. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to just kind of sit in the back of your car, bring in some snacks and check it out. I think it's our third time we've been. We have regulars that come twice or three times a week. I'm, they're like, oh, we just want to see a movie. We want to get out of the house. We're the only entertainment, per se, in town. People get to enjoy an outdoor movie with their family and not being so close to other people so they can talk and do whatever they want. Can't go to the regular movies now. And having a drive-in, social distancing is perfect. We've been stuck in the house for too long. We've been at work while they're at home. They can't go and do summer camp. They can't go swimming at their friend's house. They can't go to sleepovers. They can't do a lot of stuff. So just trying to find little things that we can do. I've had to work, but it's been pretty rough for them just not to get out at all and not be able to do the normal summer vacation stuff that we usually do. It's been going great. It's been going yeah. great. The nostalgic feel of everybody showing their kids what they grew up in, I'm hoping it continues on. Driving should always be around. When we lost Dianzi, it was a, it was a pretty big heartbreak for all of Tucson because there was a lot of people that used to go to that thing all the time. We're in the long run for this, trying to get Tucson an actual drive-in again. That audio postcard was produced by Andrew Brown for Arizona Illustrated on PBS6. You can watch the story that you just heard at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's interim news director is Duncan Moon. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.